0: I want to go now and piggyback off of what Brother Foster spoke and off of what Sister Foster gave us from the Lord. And so go with me to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 33, starting at verse 1 in the New Living Translation. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old. Who here is 12 years old? Anybody? Stand up if you're 12 years old. Michael, are you the only 12? No, we got, all right, we got a couple 12-year-olds. All right. Would you guys be ready to be the king or queen of a whole nation? Well, neither was he ready, okay? Twelve years old when he became king, he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of pagan, pagan nations. So he did not lead, he followed. He did not lead, he followed. The detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven out of the land of the Israelites. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles and also bowed before all the powers of heavens and worshipped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord where the Lord had said, my name will remain forever in Jerusalem. He built these altars for all the powers of the heaven in the courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft. Brother Foster talked about that. My goodness, it seems like the Lord has a plan for this service. He consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight. And arousing his anger. Manasseh even took a carved idol, and he had made it and set it up in God's temple, the very place where God had told David and his son Solomon, My name will be honored forever in this temple in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. If the Israelites will be careful to obey my commands, all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses, I will not send them into exile from this land that I set aside for your ancestors. But Manasseh led the people of Judah In Jerusalem to do even more evil. You see, when you follow the culture that surrounds you, you end up leading people away from God. But when you follow God, you end up leading people to the Lord and away from culture. But yet we live in this world where we so desperately sometimes want to fit in with culture. But God has called us to live countercultural. cultural In verse 16, Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. Man, sounds like a quality guy, doesn't he? doesn't he? Not so much. Today I want to preach on this before we leave. A messed up person in need of grace. A messed up person in need of grace. Manasseh was the 13th king of Judah before that southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed in 586 BC. He was raised by a godly king named Hezekiah. And we find that out reading our opening passage. Manasseh, we don't have to be brilliant here today to read this and go, wow, he was not a good guy. Okay, even if you were not in a church, if this is your first time setting foot in a religious setting, you would still read this and go, man, it has nothing to do with Bible or God. He was just not a good guy. And so, some of us might even say, he was such a messed up guy. Man, I wouldn't even mess with that dude. Just leave him. He is so messed up. Ain't nobody going to help him or fix him. And so, I mean, look at some of the things he did. Because we know the Bible does not record every single thing someone does. 2 Kings twenty one seventeen says, the rest of the events in Manasseh's reign and everything he did, including the sins he committed, are recorded in the book of history of the kings of Judah. So, we, we're, we're just getting kind of a snapshot of what are some of the things he did, and he did even more things than this. So, this was the, just the, the, the list of horrible sins, a short list. But take a look at what we just read. He rebuilt sinful things his father tore down, he put false gods in a place of worship that was built for the one true God, he worshiped false gods himself, he sacrificed his own sons to these false gods. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft. He consulted with mediums and psychics, which if you don't know this, that is 100% against the Bible. So I don't know what everybody's going through. If you are visiting a medium, a psychic, going to those places, stop. It's against the word of God. He murdered so many innocent people that blood ran from one side of Jerusalem to the other. And the passage ends by telling us Manasseh did more evil than the pagan nations that God destroyed. Yeah. This guy was messed up. Why don't you say that? Say that with me. Say, this guy, this guy was messed up. messed up. Furthermore, if rabbinical teaching is correct, Manasseh was actually the king that ordered the execution of the prophet Isaiah. He had him sawn asunder lengthwise. This guy was messed up. Instead, being counter, instead of being counter-cultural, Manasseh bowed to the cultural norms of that day. If you think you can walk a holy and separated life unto Jesus and still find joy in both worlds, you're wrong. It's not going to happen. One way of living, one worldview has to take precedent over another worldview. I cannot say, well, I want to be involved in church and ministry, and I want to do some things for God, and I don't want to walk away from God, but yet I don't want to release this, X, Y, Z, whatever that thing is. I always say, if you want to test where your heart is at, when the preacher starts preaching a message about whatever it is, any topic in the world, what topic gets you to go, I checked out, I'm already irritated. What already gets you tense? What what kind of makes your spirit feel a little ugly, a little angry, like, "I I hope you don't and go there because I'm not doing that. That is probably the thing that you need to do. Because nothing in our lives should be off limits to the word of God to prick our heart. And so somehow we cannot fit in with culture. Manasseh was so messed up. He didn't just sin greatly against God himself, but he also led an entire nation away from God. And he disrespected his heritage by building things back up that his daddy had torn down. The kingdom of Judah had experienced righteousness under his father Hezekiah. Manasseh's reign began when he was just a boy, 12 years old, and he immediately begins down a path of wickedness. We do not know why. We don't know who influenced him. We don't know why he chose to go the opposite way of his father. But the whole entire nation paid a price for what he did and his family pays the price parents if you're here the decisions that you make are not only going to influence your life they are going to influence whether you realize it or not your great grandchildren okay the the decisions of what we allow and don't allow in our homes and our minds and our lives they are things that are going to directly impact our lineage because of Manasseh's tremendous sin, God says, I'm going to be done with Jerusalem. In verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 13, it says, I will judge Jerusalem by the same standard I used for Samaria, the same measure I used for the family of Ahab. I will wipe away the people of Jerusalem as one wipes a dish and turns it upside down. I don't want, I don't want to, that to be my prophecy, I'm going to wipe you out like somebody wipes a dish. Kids that will preach, wipe your dishes, okay? I I figured it. Parents were like, if I was going to get an amen, that was the place I was going to get an amen. Then I will reject even the remnant of my own people who are left. I will hand them over as plunder for their enemies. For they have done great evil in my sight and have angered me ever since their ancestors came out of Egypt. Yikes! And that is exactly what starts to happen in Manasseh's reign even before Judah's completely destroyed. Second Chronicles 33.10 says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they... Ignored all his warnings. I will tell you that even yet today, we have people who will still ignore the warnings of God. And I will even say this. In this setting, right here, this message, me speaking in this microphone at this time, if you're watching online, if you're sitting on these pews, even this itself is another warning unto you about God's love, but also his expectation, his desire for you. As we wrap up this message in just a little while, there's going to be an invitation for you to respond to what God just said. Now, you can come to an altar. You can stand, bow a knee, repent of your sins, get baptized in his name, receive his spirit. You can make changes in your life or because of the beauty of this incredible free country that I love and that we live in, you can say, interesting, I'm leaving. I'm not doing anything with what you just said. I just came because I always come on Sundays. And that's your choice. But we all make decisions Daily decisions as to whether or not I will today, on this day, align my life with God's plan and his principles, or I'm going to say, forget it, not interested. I'm not doing it. Maybe someday, but not today. I recently spoke to someone who had never been baptized in Jesus' name, and I saw that God was wanting to do something, I said, man, I would love to baptize you. And he looked at me and said, I'm just not ready. I said, okay, because that is his choice. But that was a, a direct decision to reject what God was offering at that moment. And so they ignored the warnings, and the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies, and they took Manasseh prisoner. What would they do when they took him prisoner? They put a ring through his nose Bound him in bronze chains and led him to Babylon. The Assyrian, they, they captured him, put a ring in his nose to show that he was now in bondage. I'll just digress for a minute and say today, people will put a ring in their nose for fashion. Biblically, that was a sign of bondage. Matter of fact, I'll even go a step further. I believe it's Exodus 21 Brother Jim, I'm going to throw it at you on the fly. New Living Translation, Exodus 21, 16. I'm catching them off guard, so I'll give them a second. But I want you to see that when someone was a slave, the people of God, the Lord would say every seven years, you would release your slaves. They could not stay slaves and servants to you forever and ever and ever. So at the end of seven years, you would be released. But every once in a while, let's go to verse, I, I think it's... I think it's 16. Go. Uh point a place of refuge or the say slayer can run for safety, keep going. 21 16. And so what would happen is the people of God, that the servants at seven years, they could choose. I get to leave. But every once in a while, the 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 the, the slave owner, the servant older, they, they treated them so well. That they would say, no, I don't want to leave. I want to stay and continue to serve you. So what was the sign that you were willingly submitting to that person's leadership and staying in bondage? They would say, whether they were uh, caught, their victims already sold them as slaves. Man, maybe it's not right. Um, Let me see here. I'll look it up myself here. Brother Jim, you're supposed to read my mind. It's 21 6, not 16. <laughs> Come on, Brother Jim. I'm going to blame you for this. 21 6. If he does this, his master must present him before God, and his master take him to the door on a doorpost, and publicly would pierce his ear with an awl, and that person would remain a slave forever. So, in in Old Testament Bible times, the signs of bondage was putting an earring or a, a ring through your your nose or piercing your ear and putting something in your ear. I'm just telling you historical fact. You can get mad at me if you want, but those were signs of bondage, not of freedom. And I might still say that you know what? When we say in an apostolic Pentecostal church, "Hey, I'd rather just take all the jewels off my body and just say I'm gonna live for Him," that that that's not all. Oh, that's just some Pentecostal denominational thing. No, it's really based on Scripture. And so, and so that's why, this is why you'll look around and see some of these things. This is why some people choose to, to dress the way that they dress. This is not just a tradition, something made by man or woman. This is something that when we look at Scripture, we say, well, my goodness, if it was like that, I, I don't want, I, I, I'm living free. Right. I'm safe as long as I stick to the Bible, right? But something happened to Manasseh when he was exiled. This guy who was so messed up. The guy sacrificing his kids, worshiping false gods, walking away from everything his daddy taught him to stand for. And it's sad that sometimes when we wait, we wait until we are in, a, in such a lonely place. A place where we don't know what else to do before we do something about the spiritual climate of our lives. At Refuge Church, our vision statement is experience hope, offer hope. And this is important as we aim to minister, love, reach, and and, and minister to a lost and a dying world. A world that in many cases is void of hope. People feel hopeless for marriage, family, finance, career, health, for their own salvation. You or even me, we will hear things like, you don't have to. You don't know what I've done. I've a checkered past. If I came to church, the ceiling would split wide open. Anybody ever had a friend say that to you? Maybe you said it yourself. And if you did, we're doing all right. My life is messed up. And I know our lives can get messed up really, really fast. We can get way off track. And I know Tim doesn't like that phrase. When you work in the railroad, you don't like the phrase way off track. But in my understanding is you don't have to be missing a mile-long section of a railroad to get off track. It just takes one little piece. And I've seen a lot of good friends that took out one little piece that they said was just a little piece. And today they are way off track. Because why? We cling to this. We know what we believe. We love it. Sin sin leaves us in a destructive path. But when I read about a guy who worshiped false gods, sacrificed his son, went to witchcraft and, and sorcery, I go, "Well, man, my life ain't that, it ain't that bad. It's not that messed up. But God didn't call me to compare myself to him. He called me to compare myself to Jesus Christ. And so no matter how small my sin is, I desperately need a savior. I desperately need someone to pay the price for my salvation. But if you're one that feels like your sin is too big, because sometimes we have to preach to both people. I deal with people that say, well, I'm a pretty good person. There ain't no really no sin in my life. No matter how small your sin is, you need a Savior, and so do I. But then I got on the flip side, other people saying, no, no, my sin is so huge. You don't understand where I've been, what I've gone through. My life is so messed up, there ain't no hope for it. And I want you to know, God doesn't just give up on people who are messed up people in need of grace. Because in spite of the list of the things that Manasseh did, vile and despicable things, things that most of us cannot even imagine, he, you look at that, and I want to tell you now what Paul Harvey would say the rest of the story, is you read after all that, the mess, the, the, the guy was messed up, but then all of a sudden in verse 12, it says, but while in deep distress. Has anyone ever been in deep distress before? While in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors oh, no, 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 this is too late. This guy was messed up, killing his, sacrificing kids and worshiping gods and seeing, going into witchcraft. No, 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 why even mess with that? That guy is so far gone. But all of a sudden we read this and I go, you know, maybe it's possible that we're never too far gone. Maybe it's possible that we can never get to a place where we're so far out there that God just can't reach us God just can't, he's not powerful enough or strong enough to pull us back in. He, it says here, he says, he was gone, but he, when he is in deep distress, he humbled himself. Why? Because if you're going to repent of your sins, it takes some humbling. If there's going to be any change in our lives, it's going to take the fact that, you know what? Maybe I was living this way, walking this way, dressing this way, acting this way. Listen to these things. Things, doing this, these things, and, and all of a sudden I say, you know what? I see something in Scripture that I've I've never seen before. So I'm willing to humble myself and say, God, forgive me of my sins, whatever it is, because it's different for every person. It's different for me. And so I say, God, I want to humble myself. What is hum- humility? It's realizing I need a Savior. I need somebody to step in and say. I'm going to pay a price. I'm going to take care of something for you that you can't take care of for yourself. And so he humbled himself, and and, and he he got himself, and you know what, even even when it's by your own volition, I know a lot of times we say, well, you know what, yeah, I get that about other people, but you don't understand, I got myself here, it was my decisions, I'm the one that got myself in this place in the first place, so it's my own, I I don't know if I can go to God, because it's only by by my errors, by my choices that I'm in this place. Hear me when I say, uh, sometimes it's at moments like these, we just need to, to stop and to cry out to God and say Jesus I'm I know I might it, I am the only one to blame. I'm the only one, God, and I am sorry. But Lord, at this moment in my life, where I am at a crossroads in my life, I need you. I have got to have you. I am willing to humble myself and to do whatever it takes. There is no topic that is off limits. You tell me and I will do it if God said if I read a scripture right now that said run around the front and begin to do somersaults to, to show that God is worthy I would wrench my back doing somersaults this morning to show that God is worthy I'm gonna do whatever the Bible says to do I, I I'm, I'm not you know you think about this I'm not uh, I'm not really a three-piece suit guy but if all of a sudden I read about the fact that I'm supposed to be wearing vests, I don't care how chubby I got I be wearing myself a vest every single day, every single time I go to church, every time I go out. I know that's a crazy example, but I'm just trying to tell somebody that there's nothing that is untouchable to God. If it's in the Word of God, it's not going to be me or my tradition versus the Word of God. My tradition is going to go take a seat in the back pew, and I'm going to live whatever God tells me to live, because I love Him, and I want to worship Him with my entire life. And so if you're here just going, I just think I'm just too late. There's no hope. I am here to tell somebody that there is hope. If you are willing to cry out to Jesus Christ, there will always be hope. And so it says, while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord, he humbled himself. And verse 13 says, when he prayed, the Lord did not say, man, get out of here. I gave you so many chances before. You done messed up. You made the whole community leave. You made the whole city leave. It's your fault. You're the one that's in error. You're the one. No, he doesn't do any of that. When he prayed, the Bible says, the Lord listened to him. It doesn't matter what you have or have not done. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. When you pray and you humble yourself and you come before God, he will listen to you. And so what did God do? The Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem. Well, hold on a minute. So he was in bondage, and when he humbled himself and called out on the name of the Lord, he was not only, God didn't just hear him, but he actually restored him. He actually set him free from bondage. If you're here today and you feel stuck, that you're just, you're in bound to something, someone, whatever it is you're going through, God has the power that when you humble yourself, you raise those hands and cry out to Him, He won't just hear you, He will set you free. He'll restore you back into the original plan that He had for you. A guy that messed up. Just needed to cry out to Jesus, and he wouldn't just forgive him but restore him? Yep, absolutely. Just like the prodigal in the New Testament, we won't read the whole story. But that prodigal who comes home and says, Daddy, I messed up. I let you down. I did a lot of things I never should have done. But I'm just asking, let me come back in the house. I'll be a servant. I don't even have to be a son. I just need to be a servant. That daddy probably looked at him like he had lost his mind. He said, "Ain't no chance. Go get the ring that, in, that shows the power. Kill the fatted calf. Get him a new set of clothes. My son has come home again. The prodigal son had also walked away from what daddy had taught him like like we read about with Hezekiah and his son here and he wasted his inheritance he wasted part of his life he fell into sin he let society influence him instead of living countercultural but when he cried out for his dad when he humbled himself and came home and said i tried to do things my way and it did not work out and that's why it's sometimes difficult for a backslider to come back home because there is a humility that says hey I messed up, I I tried to do some things my own way and they didn't work out, so now I'm back to try and just get some things right. Now, I I pray to God that the church culture, especially this church or any church, that the culture is such that it doesn't make it difficult for a backslider to come back. That when a backslider walks back in the door, that the church is not there saying, well, why'd you leave in the first place? Well, what's wrong? You knew better. You were raised in this. That better never be the case at Refuge Church. We better be just like the Father that meets him at the door and says come here I want to embrace you I am so happy to see you you're still a family member of mine that has never changed before come on and sit by me let's go eat dinner together let's worship together And so when this prodigal returned home, his life was messed up. He didn't know where to go. He didn't know what the future held. But he knew this. My best chance is back at home. The hope that I have is to go back to daddy. Is to go back to the way that I was raised. And so maybe I'm preaching to some. I know I'm preaching to somebody because God has given me this, and there's a theme in this service: that if it's you here today, if it's you online, this is the Lord Jesus Christ reaching to you. And, and maybe you walked away. Maybe you walked away from something you knew better, your parents raised you different, and you're living a messed-up life right now. Hear me, please hear me when I say, just come home. Just Just come home. Just come home. You will not come to a front door where people give you just a a hassle and get up in your business. You're going to come to a door, and you're going to continue to worship in a place where people will love you. We will preach truth, but you know what? In all preaching truth, we know that this walk with Jesus Christ is a journey, and nobody expects you to be as far along as someone else. We're taking steps. The key is, like we said way back in a vision years ago, is that we are moving forward If your life is messed up, you don't know where to go. If you feel like you're living in bondage, a prison, so did Manasseh. He was a messed up dude, but he cried out to God. And God not only heard his prayer, but he set him free, and he restored him. Manasseh, he didn't deserve this. He didn't earn this. That's like that song that's out right now. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Still you give yourself away we we don't we don't deserve this we didn't earn this it was only by the grace of god so if you don't already know this let me tell you something you have hope you know what hope is called it's called the grace of god And I'm about done here, but a clearer picture of God's grace cannot be found in all of the Old Testament in, in, as we see here with Manasseh. We don't see a clearer picture of grace than we do with Manasseh. Manasseh took what was a messed up life because of God's grace, because of restoration. Manasseh went back and he did some things. In verse 14, it says, after this, Manasseh rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David from the west of the Gihon Spring to the Kidron Valley to the Fish Gate, continuing around the hill of Ophel. He says he built the wall very high he stationed his military officers there manasseh removed the foreign gods and the idol from the lord's temple he tore down the altars that he had built where the hill on the hill where the temple stood and all the altars that were in jerusalem he dumped them outside the city then he restored the altar of the lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it he also encouraged the people of judah to worship the lord the god of israel Oh, why don't you stand to your feet today? Sure. Sure, you might have messed up. You might be living a messed up life right now. You might feel like you're just in an absolute tailspin, and you're just trying to grab the controls, and you're just just going out of control. But what's keeping you from humbling yourself? From calling out to Jesus Christ. From going back and seeing some of the things that you've actually built against the Lord. And tearing those things down. For true restoration to take place. God doesn't want to just restore you. But he wants you to tear some. That's the thing. is When we walk with God, it's called consecration. God sometimes calls you to tear some things down that you've allowed yourself to build up over several years. It's time to tear them down. And then to replace those things, because that's the key. You can't, when you're trying to live for God and walk away from sin, you can't just tear a bunch of things down and not replace them with something else. And so he tore those things down... And he built up things that what God had called for. So we're not just here to preach, all oh, the rules of this church, the rules of this, the rules of this. No, it's consecration, sanctification. I want to tear some things down and replace those things with something else. Because it's not just what I'm separated from, it's what I'm separated unto. You're a messed up person in need of grace. So am I. So am I. But what keeps you right now from finding a place at an altar? If you're watching online, what keeps you right now from pulling over that car, from stopping, if you're listening, your bedroom, your living room, and saying, my God, help me. Jesus, forgive me. I humble myself. I come before you knowing I need you God, forgive me. I need you. Because repentance cannot come without humility. Because in order to fully repent, it is a realization that I am a sinner. I have messed up. I can't do this alone. So that goes against The realm of humanity because we're trained to not do that. I got it all together. Even when you don't have it together, you act like you got it together. No, 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 no. Humility says, I can't do this. I need you. I've been on a path that isn't going very well. I want to turn around from this current path and I want to begin to go a different direction. I don't want to be in bondage to the things of this world. I want to be free. I want to walk for my own. I want to walk according to the will and the plan of God for my life. Oh, you might be able to relate a little bit to Manasseh. Maybe not in all the vile things, but I'll just tell you, if this guy can find grace, freedom, and restoration, there is nothing in your life that has gotten you where you're so far gone that God just can't reach you anymore. He just he he just can't hear your prayers anymore. Just because you don't feel like he doesn't hear your prayer, that doesn't that is not the case. The Lord is as near as a whispered prayer. So I'm inviting someone. I'm inviting somebody to find a place to pray this morning, to humble yourself, to cry out to Jesus Christ, to call out to him to repent of those sins. We'll baptize you in the name of Jesus. He'll fill you with His Spirit. God will do some great things here today. You ain't too far gone. You're never too far gone. Oh, in Jesus' name.